you know, skiing big mountain, no fall zone lines seems wildly inappropriate. Uh, skinning up the resort and coming down to groomer when you're a confident, accomplished skier with it in your mind to be extra safe seems a lot closer. And certainly going for a walk around your neighborhood is by far, you know, the safest thing to do. So right now I think to most people in the mountains of Colorado, skinning up the resort and being extra safe is within that boundary. But like I said, that boundary is evolving. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 83. As we sit and stew in our juices to flatten the curve, the overarching questions can't be ignored. When does this end? How does this end? Will summer be normal or totally jacked? Will next winter be quasi-regular or not even close? Obviously, these questions apply to tourism and non-tourism related areas of life as one requires the other. That's the long-term stuff, but what about the now? What about the burning question of, is it okay to go backcountry skiing in a world where risk and travel are in such glaring focus? What the hell is an essential business? Should I eat that box of to-go food? It's friggin' weird out there. Episode 83 pokes at the long and short term of it with perspective from three key mountain town operatives. The bar and restaurant owner, the outdoor gear merchant, and the destination marketing agent. That's Rebecca Kaufman, my cousin and proprietor of Uller's Tavern, The Spot, and Wake and Bacon in Winter Park, who you may remember from episode 70, Doug Stenslick of Cripple Creek Backcountry in Carbondale, Vale, and Aspen, also co-host of a rad backcountry podcast called Totally Deep, and Matt Jebo of Visit Mammoth, and like me, a fellow expatriate of the old American Skiing Company. My hope is that hearing how this group is working through this challenging period will help you do the same. The six mini-episodes prior to this were six in six days as COVID blew up our lives, but prior to that is a broad mix of formats and topics that will keep you entertained when you tire of cat videos. Episode 80 was about ski town crime, 75 was after hours with the gang at Powder 7 in Golden, and 74 was live from Eldora's opening day. Ah simpler times. Wintry Mix, skiing's variety show since 2015. Subscribe and catch up. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Wintry Mixcast. When you pump out the pod in your story and tag it, I'll send you some free stickers, so go do that. There's also a podcast voicemail and text line, 802-560-5003. Call it and share your truth or sing a song or make some noises. Any questions or partnership inquiries can be emailed to alex at wintrymixcast.com. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts mean I will owe you a beer in the wild, and they will make you a helper, which I appreciate. Stand by for the goods. This 
This episode of Wintry Mix is supported by the Ten Barrel Brewing Company and Bojo's Colorado Style Pizza. Commerce is jacked right now, but you can still buy beer. Grab some Ten Barrel, the Apocalypse IPA perhaps, or some Snake Run Double IPA, or some Cucumber Sour, which I figured I wouldn't like, but man, I drink a lot of it now, it's good. Also, the pubs are open for all sorts of to-go eats. Help keep people employed. Check out the to-go specials, where legal, in Boise, Denver, Bend, Portland, and San Diego, and until then, find 10 Barrel in a refrigerated section near you. Or find me and I'll give you one in the wilds of Jefferson County, Colorado, if you stay six feet away from me. With five locations along the Front Range and another in Steamboat, Bojo's is your gotta try it to believe it Colorado style pizza destination since 1973. But again, you ain't going there right now for a sit down with grandma. You're going there for take and bake. Yep, put in your order, pick it up, cook it when you want. This seems like one of the best quarantine food options you could fathom. Hell, pick up four and freeze a few. I bet that would work, though I haven't asked. Visit locations in Idaho Springs, The Original, Evergreen, Arvada, Fort Collins, Steamboat, and Longmont for your to-go pizza needs while we all sit at home, hopefully not forever. Okay, I guess the COVID pods continue. However, we're not gonna do them quick style. We're gonna do them a little bit more in depth with a little bit more intentionality around the guests. So episode 83, we have voices or a voice from the Mammoth Lakes area of California, a voice from the Roaring Fork Valley, and a voice from, I guess that's called the Fraser Valley. So we've got Matt Jebo who is in Mammoth Lakes. We've got Doug Stenslick, who is, I believe right now, probably in the Roaring Fork Valley, but could be in the Vale Valley. And Rebecca Kaufman, who is in Winter Park. We've got some food and beverage and bar. We've got some gear shop and backcountry. And we have got some destination tourism. And we're all just going to kind of grieve together because we're all struggling in various ways. Matt, let's start with you. You're out furthest west. Um, give me a little feeling for what it's like in Mammoth right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, this is uh, one of the more surreal moments of my life and career, I think for everybody's life for sure. But from a career standpoint, uh, to see a town that is 100% driven by tourism and visitation from people from out of town, um, we're in a, a new paradigm. And uh, I think we're we're all as uh, resort towns trying to navigate our way through it, um, and it's uh, it, it's a weird feeling. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, we're a hundred percent driven by tourism. We our our tax base is uh, is is fully funded by the, the TOT and the the TBID, um, which is uh, for those who don't know, transient occupancy tax, which is hotel bed tax, and uh, TBID, which is the Tourism Business Improvement District, which is uh, tax on food and beverage, uh, activities, uh, retail, things like that. So obviously when something like this happens, we are, uh, we're sort of at a standstill. We're, we're a bit crippled. Um, thankfully we have as a, as a community had incredible year after year for the last about eight years, uh, continuously improving and raising more funds for the town. But now we're in this strange world where 
um, we're not sure where to go next or when the uh, when the when the green light is going to be given. Um, I think you probably saw Alex. We made as a as a community and as an organization, uh, and and we're visit Mammoth, and and you know obviously our job is purely to drive tourism. Uh, this earlier this week, we made the conscious decision to uh, mass communicate to all of our audience to not come and visit. Uh, and it was uh, sort of in the wake of what we saw happen in Summit, Co Summit County, Colorado, uh, where they were literally kicking people out of their community um, as a result of the wide, the, the community spread of COVID-19 there. And um, I, I think we saw the writing on the wall that it was just a matter of time before we were going to be faced with a similar situation if we didn't do something about it. Um, we have a very small hospital. We have uh, a very, very small amount of beds and rooms available should there be a, a, a really bad outbreak here. And so we took the proactive steps to, to actually um, tell people to not come. And we sort of did that without the business community's green light, which was obviously pretty risky. Uh, I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, it has it has been met with with a lot of positivity from the business community. Uh, it has met, been met with a lot of positivity from just general members of the community uh, who live here and know that uh, we could just as easily have 25,000 people from Los Angeles uh, come up here in a weekend and inundate our stores, uh, inundate our shops, our restaurants, and just um, make a really bad situation uh, potentially a lot worse. So, Have people listened or have you had a lot of second homeowners and folks kind of quasi escaping the cities? Um, I know Colorado, the Western Slope and Moab and stuff, definitely struggling with some of that. What are you seeing? Um, you know, there are definitely some some people who ignored uh, the the state home order. Uh, so, just real quick, the, the, obviously, the state a couple of days later after we had asked of that of people, they actually the state made a mandate essentially to stay home. So that has definitely helped quell even the people who are going to ignore us to begin with. But uh, I think there are some folks in the community right now that. Uh, perhaps second homeowners, and and frankly, they have every right to be here as they you know they pay taxes into the community. Uh, they're members of our community. We were just asking to not tax our healthcare system um, by preferably staying home. Um, so we are seeing some folks up here. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a lot. There is not a lot going on. You know, there's no cars on the road. I just drove uh, down to the park to get my dog some exercise, and there was nobody out. Um, it's it's an eerie, strange feeling. Well, let's jump back to Colorado. Rebecca, we'll be with you in a sec. I want to go to Doug first uh, because one thing we have seen in Colorado in the last 48 hours as it snowed and then you had Friday, Saturday, Sunday is, oh my gosh, the resorts are closed. Maybe this is going on in California too. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that. But a absolute frenzy of sales of backcountry equipment and a kind of bludgeoning of at least the popular spots. So, Doug, your last, you know, four days of sales and communications with the public who still wants to ski. G give us a look. So mine goes back probably exactly a week now. Uh, and I was on a bit of a roller coaster because I was faced with a lot of the same things all the guests have been where I was thinking about, you know, the financial hardship that this is going to impose on the whole industry and on our business. And I was stressed about employees. I actually went to the desert to go biking for a day. 
but I, uh, I, yeah, I left being like, you know, it's dead. We're not doing anything. And then on, on Sunday, I got a call first thing in the morning. You need to get in here right now. So a week ago today. And, uh, I was like, I'm hours away, stuck in a mud pit right now. And I got there, uh, as fast as I could. And, you know, we even starting immediately the day after Vail and Aspen closed the resorts, we had our busiest day ever on that Sunday. And the next busiest day was on that Monday. And the only reason why we slowed down since then, and we didn't slow down much was just because we're trying to think a little bit more about like the social obligation of, of having a, a busy shop open. And we basically shut that right down. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of been how, how we've gone is trying to taper business down, even though the demand seems almost limitless and focus way more as you were talking about, we have new snow, a lot of new inexperienced people that are ready to go anywhere at the same time. We're trying not to tax our healthcare system by putting anybody in added risk. So that, that's kind of where our messaging shifted from a week ago, which was like, oh yeah, great. This is a great chance to try a new sport to, this is not a great chance to step way outside your normal comfort zone. So that change from kind of still being open in your locations to being kind of quasi open, but still transacting, how are you actually doing business? What does that actually look like right now? So we've been shifting the whole week to the point where we got to yesterday, which is we're really not open at all, except for kind of phone consults and, and online sales. And uh, we did that faster than most of the stores in our community that was trying to be a little bit proactive. But certainly, so far in like the Roaring Fourth Valley, we're in a slightly better place than some of the, the mountain towns in Colorado that were hit a lot harder. So it wasn't like a government mandate thing to shut down business. It just seemed like the right thing to do. And, and that's where we're going to in, in the coming days, I'm sure. And with Vail Resorts ending uphill access a couple days ago, uh, has Aspen made any change to their uphill? Or are people still able to go on the resort right now? They're still able to go on the resort right now. I think um, they've even been grooming still. Uh, you know, and I don't know if that's from mountain operations uh, point of view. I know because the entire administration here is very big on uphilling that they see it as, as more of a safety concern to keep the resort groomed just to provide people with like a, a safer way down rather than just trying to turn a complete blind eye and pretend like it's not going on. They'd rather like make it as safe as possible, even while putting up, you know, the signage that there's no medical services available. It, it sounds like you kind of expect that to be the policy going forward. You don't really see it coming where they would try to close it. I don't think so. Um, I don't think so, but I, I've heard rumors as I'm sure everybody's heard rumors about every aspect of, of life that, that used to be. So the uh the video from uh from loveland like yesterday the day before i mean how predictable and obvious was that i mean any surprise there no i don't think so and i i'm right at the base of highlands in my office right now and that's that's what it looked like today to a lesser extent because nobody can really nobody's going to drive past all the other closed resorts to get to aspen uh, from like the major population centers, but yeah, that, that, that's not a surprise at all. Uh, a lot of people do not want their ski season to end. They're going to keep it going 
you know, the best they can. And as much as you're willing, the amount of equipment you sold in the last week compared to a typical week, put that in perspective. Yeah, I would say five times what we'd expect in the month of March uh, and twice as busy as I actually looked at this yesterday, fully twice as busy as December 22nd to December 28th was. So that's saying like Sunday to Saturday. It was like a surprise double Christmas in March. Right. Yeah. Wow. And I do think we've seen a, an actual pretty massive taper uh, recently on that. But a little bit of that, like I said, is, is a lot of that is self-inflicted. Um, I just worry about my staff and, and I worry about being like the only business open in, in a town against popular advice across the country. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to you for more of the long-term implications about how you plan for uh, next year when you don't know what it's going to be. We'll come back to that. Rebecca uh, in Winter Park, uh, for those of you who listen to the pod a lot, you will recognize Rebecca, my cousin from uh, episode 70, uh, a couple restaurants she owns and runs there as well as the premier nightclub music venue. I hope I did most of that right. Uhlers. Uh So Rebecca, you run a bar. People like to normally go to the bar when they're anywhere. Um, so you're still trying to operate it in some fashion or another, I believe. Are you still trying to like get with the governor's allowance of delivering drinks? What's the status of actually operating in any way? No. So we um, we got the first we got the notice from the governor on Monday that, you know, effectively all bars are essentially closed. Uh, we did that immediately we closed down um and then I, I think it was what yesterday two days ago sorry that uh jared polis lifted the ban and was like okay you can serve to go drinks but then there wasn't any stipulations that actually went out until about eight eight nine o'clock at night so i didn't want to put my liquor license you know in jeopardy because i mean the way they made it sound it was like i could deliver a bottle of Jameson and a six pack of Bud Light to someone's doorstep. You know, in, in that scenario, I could make a little bit of money doing that or, you know, having people come and fill their entire cooler up and me charging them something for it. Um, but so finally they came out with the, the stipulations and it's like, it's not worth it for me to go and open the bar and music venue, you know, to serve a single vodka soda for someone to take out the door. Like it just, it just doesn't really make sense. So those were the stipulations. It was like you had to operate it like it was a bar. You had to open the drink, basically. No, I mean, technically you don't have, no, they wanted the drink to be sealed, but you can only serve a drink. Okay. You know, so I can't give you a bottle of Jameson because essentially then I'm over serving you because you're one person. So, I mean, they tried their best and it, it worked for some uh, businesses, my friends was selling margaritas and, and that helped. Um, you also had to have a food item with it. So you can't just like sell alcohol. It has to be food and booze all together. So are you able to at least operate the um, the food truck and the bakery? Um, upstairs at Wake and Bacon, we're running uh, just to go orders. So that's the bakery and uh, breakfast place. And then um, the food truck we closed down, that also just didn't really make sense. Plus. He, the guy who owns the food truck also owns part of Wake and Bacon with me. So he can just sell everything upstairs. 
So, but I mean, otherwise, like everybody, all tours got canceled, all shows, all stuff like that. We're looking at live streaming shows from the venue. You know, that's interesting. You sent me an invitation to a Facebook group today. Did that start in Winter Park? Is that what people are really doing? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my friend Dustin Corcoran, he's obviously just bored and created something where people are just chugging beer. Uh, there's like a thousand people within the past three, four days that added on to it. All right. Well, we're going to add a few more via the podcast. So Rebecca added me to a Winter Park homegrown Facebook group called Let's Chug Beer. And it's just videos of people chugging beer <laughs> while isolated. Um, and I guess it got its its seedling start uh, there in the Fraser Valley. Um, so are you kind of just on pause with everything with the bar? Or like, what are you, how are you able to plan? Or are you able to plan? Like, what can you work on now? I mean, what I decided to do, because I kept going so like back and forth, because you know, you listen to what your state is allowing you or not allowing you to do in both the food industry and the alcohol industry. And it's like, just, you know, somebody give me an avenue um, instead of jerking me around like every two seconds, everything's changing. So what I chose to do for the bar and for the, um, the food truck is to instead sit down, forecast everything out while being closed, take like take the time to, to get all bills in that will have to be paid see what deferred payments can happen, see what grants or loans are out there and see how long, you know, we can be a viable business with the money left in the account and see maybe how much we would need. So that's what I've done with the bar. I feel like that's what makes the most sense. I've got other business partners for upstairs. So I'm allowing them to run the to-goes and me to do the same thing, forecast and, and make plans for the future to see what we want to do. And and you must be kind of operating under a a quasi assumption. Are, are you assuming that you will be reopening in June? Are, are are you operating under any assumptions about when life might return to normal? So the weird thing, and I'm sure they understand um, as well. You know, your other guests coming from resorts. When the mountains close, you're dead. It's over. So for Winter Park. Uh, we close generally the, the winter park side of the mountain closes on like the 26th of April. Uh, the Mary Jane side usually stays open till in somewhere into May, depending on snow. I mean, in that sense, we were going to be dead in May and June anyway. It's hard to make it in a mountain town during those months anyway. So for the rest of the country, maybe they'll get back up and going, say in May or late May or whatever it is. But for ski resorts, for small towns, we're done until late June. We're not going to get busy again. So you're basically assuming that the end of the end is now and it at best early summer, July 4th weekend. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. they've already canceled some things. So and the resort is everything here for the most part, besides music stuff, which they've, like I said, all, you know, touring bands have canceled shows indefinitely. Right, so you can't even work on your spring summer calendar probably, I mean, unless it's just tentative dates. My booking agent is booking dates. Um, yeah, but there's what's called like a hold and a confirmed. Yeah. So everything is on a hold right now. If nothing is like, we're not signing contracts or anything. Well, if you were allowed to give him a hug, I'd say give Maddie a hug for me, but don't give him a hug. Give him a, 
an air hug. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, Maddie Jibo, back to you and Mammoth. So I want to talk about what I kind of asked Rebecca and what I want to ask Doug in a little bit is how do you do your job as you understand it when you don't know if summer's a thing, if winter's a thing? Um, you know, your business is all about that kind of long-term planning about the coming seasons and how to get your messages into the market. I assume that when you say you told people not to come, you just kind of put out that message in your free channels. You didn't put dollars behind it because you didn't have to. Um, but generally, I mean, maybe you did put dollars behind it. So talk to me about what are you doing about summer right now or nothing? And how do you look to your future and do your job? So we're kind of operating in sort of two separate worlds uh, right now. Um, and, and just to just to answer your question, we did actually put paid on social behind asking people to not come because the way that Facebook and Instagram nowadays, you, you can't rely on the uh, organic algorithms. You have to put dollars behind it to make sure at least the people that have said like, I love you, we, you know, uh, as a fan, uh, sees the message. So, so we did put some paid minimal dollars, but, uh, that being said, um, so we're, we're kind of operating in, in sort of two different worlds. The first world is the, the very now. And, um, in that very now we're trying to figure out what are we as an organization doing day to day? One of the things we're actually trying to do is, uh, well, actually, we're in process of doing uh, John Erty, who you know, uh, who is, who's our executive director, um, went to our board of directors and earmarked $50,000 of our budget um, to put together a food bank uh, here in town to try to help folks um, that have been laid off um, or their restaurant is temporarily closed or potentially permanently closed. Unfortunately, I think this is going to have a, a pretty big impact on some of these small businesses in our community. Um, so we're, we're trying to do things um, to affect the now in our community as much as we possibly can. Um, and obviously, that's a pretty challenging thing to do in a place that is 100% reliance on tourism. Um, that being said, kind of what a, what a, what's the the normal life? How do we future look? Uh, we were already in process of planning our summer. Um, so I've been working with our, our media buyers and our agency to figure out our plan for summer. We were upset to launch on April 6th. Obviously that is, uh, currently on a hold relatively ready to go. This budget is sort of, uh, baked in that we're, that we're operating off of. So it's not uh, necessarily a financial consideration. We are full bore ready to roll as soon as we get the uh, environmental green light. And when I say environmental, like the, the environment for travel seems to be back, uh, in people's, uh, mindset. Obviously that is not where we're at right now. So we are uh, taking a, a wait and see approach, if you will. Um, we also understand that there is a, there is a world that exists that we might not be doing anything until winter. None of us here, uh, on this conversation and, and, Frankly, not even doctors know exactly when we are going to be back to normal. You know, we have in our in our heads sort of planted the seed that this could be three months before we're normal. This could be six months before we're no, we're back to normal. Um, we're relatively fortunate as a as a uh, as a community to have about ninety five percent of our visitation come from a drive market. So. Uh, we are not as reliant as an Aspen, a Vail, a Telluride, um, a Jackson Hole from the, that far-reaching destination that has to be comfortable with getting on an airplane again. 
Uh, we just need people to feel comfortable getting back in their car again with their family and uh, staying in a hotel or an Airbnb. So, uh, yeah, we, we're kind of accounting for multiple different scenarios um, and, and we're just a bit in the wait and see, but still planning and ready to go. Yeah, you've got you've got a marketing plan for summer that you hope you don't have to throw in the trash can. Exactly. And you're watching the calendar and you're like, well, if in the next three weeks, four weeks, we can still salvage this thing. But as you get a little bit later, you'll just have to throw it in the trash can. and You don't know which one of those two things it is yet. Correct. Yeah. All right. So, Doug, this is one thing that's really just been stuck in my in my brain. And it's both for resorts and for these shops that have to make long-term decisions who live in those communities. And it's about the supply chain. It's about the ordering of gear. And will the gear be available? A, I don't know. Um, should you order it? B, I don't know. Um, and how are you looking at that problem right now? Oh, we're really, you know, trying to get through the rest of this season. You know, the, the good and the bad of, being busy is that there hasn't been a whole lot of planning. <laughs> uh, most of my employees have been working really like 14 hour days for seven or eight days in a row to try to just, you know, keep things at a manageable level. Um, so that's been exciting, but the long-term planning, you know, is, is going to kind of start this week. You know, Randy, who, you know, from totally deep as well, he uh, he's driving out currently from Michigan where he's been spending the winter, you know, just to kind of meet and try to really wrap our heads, our heads around that and evaluate it. We are going to launch more of like an effort into the summer gear this year and some kind of light alpinism and, and trail running. And we've pretty much completely canceled that program. Like we've gotten on and canceled and all the footwear we had coming in just, you know, as, as was said previously, we, we don't know if there's going to be a summer season. So we've addressed that one first. And now coming uh, up with next year, luckily, we, we carry a pretty huge inventory of this. So we'll still have gear to sell. But it's definitely going to affect, uh, you know, kind of how we buy and plan for the season. What have you been hearing from gear manufacturers in the last week, if anything, in regards to you know, are you getting sales calls? Are they are they asking you to place for next year? I mean, what's coming out of that world right no, now? No, um, that has almost stopped completely. There, most of our orders get placed in January, or February. Uh, there were still some I was delinquent on, and they were, you know, in the typical sales cycle, kind of like hassling me on that. And then they have kind of uh, like everyone is has given a lot of space and understanding and. You know, really, it's tough, you know, because we're talking about business here, but I think everyone is, is kind of more concerned with, you know, what tomorrow looks like than what a year from now looks like. I do think we're going to hit a little bit of an equilibrium here in the next couple of weeks once the country as a whole is kind of locked down. It's going to give us a lot of time to think and plan for that. Right now, all the thinking and planning is trying to figure out what the next month or two looks like. Yeah, I am glad I am not in a marketing department being told to sell season passes for next year right now or to figure out how to sell season passes uh, next year. I've had a few chats with some people in, in that space, and it sounds like it's going to be, you know, little tiny pre-commitment offers that have huge asterisks on them. Um, and, you know, I do wonder if 
if both Icon and Epic sell 20% of their prior projections of season passes, do we see the revival of day tickets? Um, you know, like what ha does this break Icon and Epic for a year? I don't know. Doug, one more question for you that actually came over from Matt. And Matt, you don't have to text it to me, buddy. Just kind of wave your hand in the air and let it rip. Go ahead, Matt, ask, ask it up. Yeah. Hey, uh, Doug, I was, I was curious, um, how, how have your employees reacted to the uptick in business given sort of the health concerns that I think most, most communities are, are seeing and feeling? Obviously, Rowing Fork Valley is one of the communities that's been affected by, by the uh, the onset of COVID nineteen, so is so is the Vale Valley. So I'm I'm curious, have you had people saying like, hey, I'm not I'm not really comfortable continuing to come to work, and how have you addressed those concerns if you have had them? Yeah, I've had a lot of that um, from from every single employee. Uh, we've been doing full uh, daily updates to kind of our policy, and again, each day tightening it up more and more. Uh, a couple employees have stopped coming to work all together. And, and we've been really supportive of that. It's, uh, you know, every day being like, this is the plan we're putting in place. Uh, if you're uncomfortable at all, like do not come in. Uh, it's not gonna affect your rela relationship with me or the business, you know, or your, or your core workers at all. You, you are good to stay home. So, you know, leaving a lot of openness for that, a lot of support, and then really, you know, extending that barrier between us and the customer all the way to, you know, we did appointment base pretty much after that first surge. And then we were just trying to let people in one at a time, only if they could be directly helped by someone to now having that full barrier where I, I'm actually, like I said, still at my office and I have uh, customers coming to try on boots that are just staged outside in an empty plaza. And uh, yeah, there's a couple boots for them to try on and we won't even talk. They'll, and, and this is also what they prefer too. Uh, they just prefer to get back in their car and, uh, you know, and then call me on the way home and tell me what works. And then we'll select skis on the phone, mount them up and, and ship it to them. So uh, it, it's been just constantly evolving. But but then but how like so you're going to have somebody come in and try on hard plastic boots, which apparently is like one of the like the worst carriers. Like, I, I don't I, I guess I just I'm trying to wrap my head around being in that line of business and. Where yeah, you... well, for one, I'm the only one. I'm the only one up here right now. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, this is like a, a satellite shop that we're not really staffing at all anymore. And I came up mostly to tie up loose ends for for customers that that we already have like existing. And you know, all I can do is kind of come out there with a pair of gloves and start wiping things down with the, the Clorox wet wipes and and do the best that I can with that and. And this part is is not something you know that that I would ask any of my employees. You know, I'm I'm up here solo at this point. I would guess that your level of personal service per customer has fallen off a cliff. Yeah, and and we fully, you know, said like you know you are covered for these boots. Like we will make sure they fit. If not, we can put a different pair on your feet. But we, that might take a few months before we can provide the same level of service that we're used to. If, if you're really trying to to get gear now, like you should know that comes, as you said, with a lot of asterisks. And we might have to revisit this in another world. Like, are your vendors allowing you to return product? That hasn't come up. Um, 
I wonder how that would go. You mean just if it is like contaminated to that point or just? No, um, just, I mean, I, I would assume you're, you're, you have a surplus. Even right. though people are coming in, but you're, you're trying to like. Yeah, well, and even though this one week was a surge, we can expect a drop off. Um, you know, we're not going to get there because for in the backcountry world, we expect to sell skis pretty well into the second season, which which goes almost through June, and we won't do that this year. Right. Um, I don't think we'll send. Luckily, most of my vendor return requests went in, you know, at the very beginning of this, and they were honored. Uh, you know, obviously things have been evolving super quickly every day, so I, I haven't even pushed for that in the last two weeks at all. Okay. Yeah. We, can't get, we can't give any booze back is the only reason. Right. And, and I have restaurant friends here that, um, you know, are sitting on tens of thousands of dollars of, of perishables that are, are going down. Right. What, what is an expiration date on a bottle of booze, Becca? Uh, it depends, you know. I mean, a bottle of booze will last for a really long time. But like I said, if... For us, it's, I mean, beer is about, some beers, like the Oscar Blues is about three months. Liquor, on the other hand, that'll go for a long time. But the difference there is, like we talked about, we won't open back up, you know, say we open back up in June. I don't need $10,000 in inventory. Right, right. You, you, you were set for a couple of weeks of big spring break. Exactly. At least I'm not an Irish place. You know, there's... Every Irish pub is sitting on in, in Colorado is sitting on kegs and kegs of Guinness right now. Yeah, that's tough. I, I would think that and obviously you can't plan around any of this yet, but as people A get more stir crazy, B start feeling like, okay, we need to get outside and, and we've got all this booze and we've got all this food, you know, just outdoor commerce that's like you know maybe it's not six feet of distancing but i think the humans are going to get bored of this i feel like we're going to go on a lockdown first before any of that happens you know that's kind of the inevitable i think yeah no i agree uh polis was doing a news conference today um like at four o'clock it's happening now i don't know what he's saying but he may be doing that doing that right now i'm going to be kind of bummed if all the uh big mountain mission skiers like ruined my ability to ski in jefferson county um, cause that's kind of the only place I ever go, go back country anyway. Jibo, you were, when you heard the word lockdown, I saw you bouncing around. What do you got? Well, I'm on lockdown. <laughs> oh yeah. You're in California. You are in lockdown. Um, I mean, did that change anything in reality or was it just some words? Well, so it, it mandated that all restaurants, bars, shops, and, uh, are get closed. So any non-essential businesses, the only things that are allowed to be open are grocery stores, um, uh gas stations pharmacies um and uh, obviously medical places oh uh weed shops of course uh <laughs> um so yeah uh but anybody can do to go items uh as well um any of the restaurants if they decide they'd like to do that yeah and you're not allowed to you're supposed to not gather in groups of over 25 um uh, so obviously events and things like that, that, that cancels, I think from a day-to-day -day life around here, people are still going out and recreating, but they're probably doing it with one other person that they know that they can trust isn't, uh, isn't going to put them at risk that people here are definitely taking it seriously, which is, 
which has actually been great to see. Um, I was concerned that people were going to be really flippant about it. I think there's also the the economic stresses too that are on people right now that has caused people to maybe just slow down and stay in anyways because they know they don't know when their next paycheck is coming. So, um, and that's uh, that's another tough tough reality right now in this town that um, there's a lot of people who are going to be hurting and hurting hurting for a while. Yeah, uh, Becca in Winter Park. I mean, who is being? Um, how should I say, identified as the most susceptible in the short term? Uh, is it just folks that worked at the mountain? Is it others? I mean, what's kind of the hierarchy there? Um, so the scary thing is, uh, let's see, on Wednesday, we got our new updated. That's the last day of numbers that I got. I think it's Wednesday or Thursday of actual people in Grand County, which is about 14,000 residents median age is about 44 years old and just like the rest of everybody else there's not a lot of hospital beds in a small community like this and we do have an older population so uh the scary thing to me was that i think it was 33 people had been tested in the entire county one had tested positive three were negative and the rest were still pending so like nobody's getting tested in Colorado, it's, it, the numbers are really bad. I have a friend that lives in Vail uh, that was around someone that did get tested that had it. And he was told, I can't give you the test because you're not at risk for dying, essentially. Just assume you have it. Uh, and his employment, like he works for um, sales for a brewery. I'm not going to say which one, but it's a large one. And and they were kind of like, hey, we need you to go to these off-site locations. And he's like, I, I just told you I essentially have it. What do you mean you need me to go to places? People, some people are taking it serious. Some people aren't. People aren't congregating in large groups here at all. It's the same thing. Like, you know, people are going maybe cross-country skiing or skinning up at the resort and riding down. But in, in groups of no more than four and we're not allowed to have more than five people in our restaurant at a time so people wait in their cars for to-go orders we bring it out to them um the prep process for food is done with gloves on uh the cooking process is done with gloves on the boxing process is done with gloves on well you're not seeing the big groups because you're on the other side of birth and pass and the scenes over the weekend coming out of Berthoud Pass, Jones Pass, Loveland Pass, Loveland Ski Area um, have been, I don't know if they're shit shows, but they make a certain community of people look like idiots. Um, and Doug, I mean, this is kind of where I want to bring you in and we'll wrap up here pretty soon. Should we as skiers or backcountry enthusiasts be concerned with the photos and videos that will be coming out kind of every weekend from here while everybody else in Colorado is told to not travel and not congregate and XYZ. I mean, should we be concerned about that? Is that just the cost of doing business? Is this a problem? Is it not? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm also in the business of like backcountry media a little bit with uh wild snow and, and totally deep. And I'm, asking through those channels as well as this is i i think you know my lesson was learned really from northern italy uh you know we published an article 
two weeks ago where, where this seemed distant. Uh, and we got some very heartfelt messages directly from Italy where they were, they were like, you know, this is as bad as you can imagine. And we think this is where it's going in the U S please do not go skiing at all. Like do not put any kind of extra strain on the healthcare system and, you know, be cognizant of, of people around the world that are in, you know, you feel inconvenienced now there's people in a lot worse uh, position. So I'm in kind of, you know, asking anyone personally and, and through the channels to, to not post and to not go in that direction. And this is a lot different again than what I would have thought necessary a week ago. You know, I do think there's, there's a bit of a, a gray area because what's happening in your own community uh, is what's happening there. And, and it's different, you know, from mountain town to mountain town. Um, and people that think that that's outrageous to say, don't go out into the mountains at all during this time, you know, might sing a, a very different tune in another week or two. So I think that's a really good thing to keep in perspective as well. So I think if, if you're, if you're going out there, if you feel that call and, and you need to go now, then, you know, that, that should really stay between you and your, your one ski partner and, and doesn't need to be projected to, to the world as a whole. I think that's well put. Um, you know, I've been struggling with the fact that um, I've still been going um, the last couple of days since it snowed, but I I go within 15 minutes of my house um, and I'm the strange guy who does that, you know, on the front range um, and I don't get out of my car. I don't go with other people. It's just a quick there and back for an hour. It's kind of like going for a walk or a bike ride in my little area. I feel like that's better, but maybe it's not from the way you just said it. I mean, just being out and doing stuff is inherently, you know, not isolating yourself or and not not staying put. Um, I think those that are traveling a great distance to ski big mountains um, are maybe a little different than that. Uh, but I don't know. You know, I think the way you put it is perfectly adequate and correct. That's the, the line, right? The line is very wide and very blurry. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, I looked at some modeling where they looked at America if we do nothing, America if we uh, self-isolate, and if lockdown quarantine is imposed. And they actually believe that the, the self-isolation is better because people aren't going to jump quarantine. And that's what usually creates like big problems again. Um, is like if you tell people you absolutely can't leave, leave your house, some people will jump quarantine. So I think a little bit of the getting out, getting exercise, and enjoying the outdoors is one of the last things we do is important for everyone's like personal sanity. You know, skiing big mountain, no fall zone lines seems wildly inappropriate. Uh, skinning up the resort and coming down to groomer when you're a confident, accomplished skier with it in your mind to be extra safe seems a lot closer and certainly going for a walk around your neighborhood is by far, you know, the safest thing to do. So right now I think to most people in the mountains of Colorado, skinning up the resort and being extra safe is within that boundary. But like I said, that boundary is evolving. What have all of us learned about working from home or working in isolation? Any tricks, any hacks? that people have uh, figured out, oh, I can do this. I can get away with that. Uh, 
Well, I, I personally, uh, I mean, I've done it a couple of times before. Um, prior to coming on board here, I was I was doing consulting work for, for ski resorts. So I spent probably 60% of my work time at home in isolation uh, with just my dog. And, uh, and before that, actually, as you probably know, I worked for Ryan Solutions back in the day when that was a thing um and uh and worked remotely from home so i'm kind of used to it um i think the biggest thing for me is just get dressed in the morning for those who <laughs> don't let yourself sit around in pajamas or in your underwear because to me that is just a recipe for taking a nap at 11 o'clock every day and not being very motivated or uh productive and, and from a productivity standpoint i haven't had any problem with that because I've been working until about eight or nine o'clock at night every single night. Um, and I had to work all day yesterday too. So like things have not slowed down in this time for me personally, but that's not everybody. Rebecca, how have you dealt with the fact that you're not forced to stay up till three in the morning every night? <laughs> I would say the issue now is that I would need to set hours for work for myself that I would do it. Like he's saying he's working till nine. Like I would do it till three in the morning if I wasn't living with someone that was like, Hey, you're kind of being a little bit of a psycho. Like what could you possibly doing it to be doing it two in the morning? So I would say for people working from home, set parameters for yourself and don't overdo it. I, I would assume everybody that's on this conference has a lot to do all the time. And it's a, it's an opportunity to kind of catch up. Yeah. I, I think that's really good advice is, is the parameters. Uh, it's really easy to be checking the emails for updates at, at 10 o'clock at night. And there is enough stress and worry in the world right now that you don't want to bring your, your work into it at, at like right before bed, you know, and probably that, that goes for the news as well. You know, maybe, uh, setting aside a few hours after dinner where you could be productive, but it's just not worth it for mental health. I think that'd be a great piece of advice for people working at home. Here, here, Matt Gibo, visit Mammoth, Doug Stenslick, Cripple Creek Backcountry and Totally Deep Podcast, and Rebecca Kaufman, Uller's Tavern, the spot food truck attached to Uller's Tavern, and the Wake and Bake Bakery in Winter Park, Colorado. The three of you guys, stay safe. Thank you for all of your expertise and thoughts here this afternoon. Thank you for having us. And it's rant time. South Korea peaked at 909 daily cases in late February. As of mid-March, that was already down to 74 daily cases. How did they do it? They used the time that the entire world had, mostly January and February, to prepare their country by ramping up production of medical supplies and testing capacity. They did not lock down their society. They succeeded because they don't deny science and thus used the preceding months to prepare for reality instead of ignoring it, hoping it would go away while mega-tweeting and playing lots of golf. In contrast, the U.S. voted to be the dumbest and least prepared nation possible to own the libs, and it has succeeded in that effort. The consequences are at hand. Many more will die, and your 401k is toast. I'm done humoring those that put us in this spot. Be ashamed. Do better next time, if there is a next time. End of rant.
theme music by Adam Levy. Toss me those five-star Apple Podcast ratings if you want to be a helper. I may or may not keep doing episodes like this. It will depend on whether y'all want more of them or if I should just wait it out. We'll see, I guess. Follow on Instagram at Wintry Mixcast or find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Leave the pod a voicemail or text at 802-560-5003 and good chance it'll get into an episode. And as always, stand by for After the Beep. Goodbye. So a week ago today, I was on, um, I was in three airports and on two airplanes. So I am literally self-quarantined, had a human contact in a couple of days. Stay the fuck away from Matt Chiba. Jeez. Yeah. I'm I'm doing, I'm doing the community a favor by staying the fuck home. (laughs) I don't think, I don't think any of you guys have your, your children in online school right now. Like I do. No. That's interesting. <laughs> oh. I don't have my dog in online school, no. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, Rebecca, if you end up, you should overnight some donuts to my kids from Wake and Bake. We're not even making them right now. We're just doing a cinnamon oh. roll. No donuts. Is it Wake and Bacon? What's that? Is it Wake and Bacon? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Kaufman, get it right. Yeah, wake and bake. What is that? How many that's times? Not, you that's nothing. That's just that's um, nothing. That's a that's a reflex from my childhood. <laughs> you really want your kids to have sugar right now while they're quarantined in your home? This is uh, Paul Castellano checking in from Northeast Pennsylvania. I think there's a special place in hell for sensationalized ski industry slander. The fact that unofficial networks, Snowbrains, and others promote negative discourse slander again and perpetuate this through online discourse is completely unacceptable. We as industry leaders, figures, participants, and more need to hold them accountable, take them to task, and vilify their content creators. Based on the ferocity of my keystrokes, I think that's enough for episode 83's end rant. <laughs>